Hi Hello. there. How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Nice to meet you. You too. Where are you coming out of? Los Angeles, Long Beach. Where are you? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Ah. It's beautiful out there in Long Beach. That's a nice, uh, nice way to live your life. Yes, the weather is mild. Yes. <laughs> well, we're kind of having a mild Indian summer here, so but, but it changes fast. So it'll uh, it'll get there. Well, it's great to meet you. And I want to begin our conversation with surviving the last three and a half years or so, getting through a pandemic. How did you get through it? And how did it change you? <laughs> well, my mother died a week ago. Mm. Sorry to hear From that. Omicron. I've lost a lot of friends. My husband and I used to dance West Coast Swing like 11 hours a week. And now we don't because uh, the studio that we used to dance at after everything shut down and <clears throat> came back, they eliminated masks, eliminated ventilation. And it just, you know, so it's been um wow it's been like a really intense exercise in the whole buddhist notion of impermanence yeah and you know la really had it rough i think more than anybody else i mean i was hearing stories about people that couldn't walk on the beach and weird things that was dumb and that lasted a very short time there was never actually a real lockdown. Like there was never a time where you couldn't get food, go to the market. There yeah. were times where you had to stand in line. And before we understood that you're not going to get it by touching things, you're going to be getting it by breathing other people's air. There was a really nasty period where we were wiping down all of our products. Um, the I still mask in public and it's just not a big deal for me. Uh but like our dance teacher, before we knew it was airborne and we were just washing our hands, he had his big 40 years as a full-time dance teacher, world champion swing dancer, had his anniversary. We all danced with hundreds of people. We all got COVID and he died of a heart attack six months later. And he was still a young, healthy, athletic man. So for me, um, Putting on a mask is like wearing a seatbelt. It's annoying, but better than the alternative. Because yeah. I was also in a car accident two weeks ago. Oh, no. Yeah, it's been a month, right? First yeah. car accident in decades. Um, minor, it's all fixed. Yeah. But, you know, yay, safety belt. So yeah. uh, in California, California is like a microcosm of all of America. Yeah. So we get a reputation for being all blue, which is not the case at all. We probably have more Republicans in California than anywhere outside of Texas. Right. So depending on where you are, the attitudes are different. They're like, yay, thank goodness we have, you know, mandates. And then you go a mile that way and fascism, take, yeah. you know, get rid of these mandates. And it's just been, uh, I don't know, different. It's been hard because yeah. of the loss. Um, but I, you know, I look at everything as 
as I was saying before, and I was a religion major in college, so I kind of, you know, plug in, well, which tradition fits here? And the whole Buddhist notion of everything is impermanent, so love and be grateful for what is here now. And it just makes every blessing more valuable. And I kind of shifted, you know, from the like wealth being a thing of status, like look at how much I make, look at my car, all that kind of stuff too. Wow, I have a home and I have food and I have health and I have love. And that's all, that's all I need. That is everything. That is wealth. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where I live from. Yeah. So let me get to the essence of what you do for a living. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. And one of the kids looks up at you, it's career day. And they mm -hmm. ask you, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? I help people get what they want by making what they want safe. If you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you are not getting the results you should be getting, it is in my experience, coaching for 30 years now, working with thousands of people, very different people. And I've noticed a pattern that if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you're still not getting results, there's probably something you're protecting yourself from and you don't know that you're doing it and it's not your fault and i help you find what isn't safe so we can make it safe so you can get what you want so the same actions have a different result so when you were in the third grade what did you want to be when you grew up president oh okay i was a yeah like i i look at you know uh <laughs> <laughs> what women who've, you know, run for president have gone through. And I'm like, whew, you know, thank God, not me. Yeah. But yeah, third grade, I have the drawings. I wanted to be president. I wanted to be the first president. So take me back to the beginnings of your or life. Emma Peel. I also wanted to be Emma Peel of the Avengers. Okay, I got you. There you go. I mean, that's those are right <laughs> up there in the same echelon. So take me back to your childhood. Where were you born and raised? And how did these seeds get into you to want to help people and to be who you are today? Well, I was born in the foothills of the Hollywood Hills. And my family created the very first original Renaissance Pleasure Fair, you know, that with all the spin-offs all around the world, it started with my grandmother and her best friend in the Hollywood Hills as a fundraiser for a radical radio show in the early 1960s. And wow. I think that it had everything to do with like the whole hippie movement and flowy dresses that came after. And my grandmother's best friend had been an English teacher who was blacklisted from teaching when she didn't sign the McCarthy loyalty thing. So Phyllis, the friend, started teaching drama. My grandmother had always been a dance teacher. She taught Alvin Ailey. She was like on the Wow. forefront of modern dance and that's where I was conceived literally because I can count the months yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in this very artsy uh even political and investigatory open-minded 
family of lawyers and artists and 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 a rocket scientist and not much in between. <laughs> so I also had a violent narcissist drug addict mom, which is not easy for all of you who have had a challenging parent. And I think that, you know, there, there are wounds, but there are also gifts that you develop to uh, be able to survive and thrive despite somebody like that. So how it showed up in me was even as a really young person, I was probably because of pain, thinking the really deep thoughts about what is it to be human? What is the nature of this universe? And I was getting it from like the metaphysical woo-woo angle and then, you know, the science side of the family, equally yeah. interested in both. And how fundamentally, how do we have a better experience as human beings while we're here? So I even ran off to Smith College and got a degree in religion just to like ask that question and see how people answer it. Um, how I got to coaching, accidentally, I... Moved back to LA and became an actor because it's required. Yeah. Failed. <laughs> really, really failed. <laughs> but along the way, I found this coaching program that focused on entertainment people. And I took it for myself and it really changed me in my life. And I was suddenly booking jobs right and left and discovered that isn't really what I wanted to do. I tried volunteering as a coach for the same company and just taking a break from self-absorption, not that actors are self-absorbed, but taking a vacation from that felt so good to just focus on helping other people. And I decided that's what I want to do. How I got into the money, last thing that I was looking for in terms of, you know, my niche. I'm spiritual, you know, want to save the world. And... I had a bunch of entertainment clients who became celebrities and huge successes and household names who were like starting at nothing and winning awards and getting big films and TV series. And they were having like really rapid results with me because the coaching for me was easy. Yeah. And I was struggling to make $100 a month living in Los Angeles in 2003, taking every class, getting certification after certification out, you know, marketing class, all of these classes, nothing working with the coach, nothing was pushing the dial. So living on credit card debt, borrowing from family, trying everybody's solution, whether it is mindset or, you know, one of my Los Angeles friends waving their hands and changing my money DNA or taking, you know, business classes didn't matter. I did all of it. Nothing worked. Big, you know, failure. Uh, just, and then I had a call with this coach I'd been working with for months. We had graduated from coaching school and got our certification on the same day, but he had a house and I'm making a hundred dollars a month. So I'm working with him and month after month, I would do what he would say and nothing would change. Not his fault. And then one day I just showed up in like such despair 
I've just taken a class in overcoming sales objections where they teach you the scripts of what to say. And I said what I was supposed to say. And seven people in a row said they would hire me. And seven people in a row didn't show up and didn't pay. And I lost it. Just like, there's just no way I can survive this life. And I was in a really bad, terrified, broken heart, broken hearted, hopeless, angry, despair. And I had a call with my coach and instead of telling me what to do, he asked me a really weird question that changed my life and put me on this path. He doesn't know where the question came from. And it's sort of the foundation of who I've become professionally. And he asked me, if your money was a person, who would your money be? And in that moment of despair and hurt and anguish, I suddenly saw like instantaneously, it just popped into my imagination. My money in that moment was this big, scary, dirty, violent biker dude, like really, really bad, who caused fights and was going to destroy me. And I could feel like in every cell of my being this, whoa, whoa, terror. And that was my big aha moment. Finally, 30 years into life, my financial situation finally made sense. If that was how I felt about money, like keep it away, it didn't matter what I did or how well or how deserving I was. It did not matter because while, you know, maybe the 2% of my brain that's conscious is trying to make money and is doing all the things, the rest of me is putting pushing it away. And the rest will always win. So I see this guy and I know that there's no way that I can have money in my life if it's that. Yeah. So I had to end that relationship. By the way, this is why it's really useful to make money a person because if you've lived on the planet for any amount of time, you know what it's like to end a relationship. And that becomes a really useful skill. So I had to get rid of the biker. I could not have money in my life if it was that guy. So I imagined getting rid of him. At the time, it was like we break up. <laughs> Thousands of clients and pr- doing this process later, I'm way more bloodthirsty. And, I, and I'm and i like, only one of you gets to survive. Choose you and annihilate the monster and leave no trace, like no bloody bits that can reconstitute into a zombie later. Just reject it and put into it everything that no longer gets to be in your life experience and just reject it, blow it up dramatically. Yeah. And of course, my clients tend to be the very love and light vegan type. So I'm like, kill the beast. It's like really weird. Uh, So I got rid of the monster, which created a new problem in that moment, which was I live in LA and now I have no relationship with money. So... I thought to myself, well, who could I want in my life? Who would be so wonderful? Who could I want in my life so much that I'd be willing to have this person even if it's money? 
And that may sound weird, but if you think about the worst relationship you've ever had in your life and how when you finally got out of that, you were not in a hurry to get into another relationship because you just never wanted to repeat that. So I needed something that I knew would be so different. I, and I hear this all the time from people that, you know, people who wish that they didn't have to have a relationship with money. They would just love to go and do their art and their good deeds and save the world and wish that money didn't even exist. And think about if I were to say to you, Joe, I want to go to Sweden. I want to, you know, solve the energy problem. I want to solve climate collapse. I want to win a Nobel Prize. And I can't do any of it because of you. And I wish you didn't exist. That wouldn't be great for our relationship, would it? No. Okay. So I needed a relationship that was worth having that wasn't a what have you done for me lately relationship, like somebody who was so lovely that I could overlook <laughs> that this is going to be money. So I asked myself that question and I was just having a really good day in terms of visualization, because normally if you ask me to sit by a river and visualize, you know, if you ask me to sit down and visualize that I'm sitting by a river. I will spend 45 minutes just going through a slideshow of every river I've ever seen in my life. I'm not normally very good at visualization, but when the emotion is high enough, it kind of overrides the critical conscious brain. And then you get like a full body experience. And that's when we can rewire your neurology. So I asked myself that question, who could I want so much? And who popped into my mind in that moment was a tall, dark, handsome, romantic, sweetheart, clean cut young man wearing a tuxedo, holding a bouquet of red flowers who wanted to woo me and was in love with me and was just so yummy, sweet. Like the embodiment of love did not feel like money at all. Felt like Christopher Reeve, you know, just ah, beautiful. Who, who wouldn't want this? And that he loved me and wanted to woo me was really mind blowing. And I wanted this relationship. Didn't care whether it was money. I just wanted this love. But it's useful to call him money because that's the area of life that needed my love and healing. And I could feel how much he wanted to be with me. And I didn't know how to let money be with me. So I asked another reason it's useful to make money a person. I asked, what do you need from me to be with me the way you want to be with me? And he said at that time in March of 2003, I need you to love me and stop treating me like a monster which seems really reasonable when you're looking at a relationship, right? Who wants to not be loved or treated like a monster? And I felt like, wow, what a really horrible relationship partner I've been to this sweet guy. So it seemed like a reasonable request and I agreed. And then I had to think, well, what does that look like? And it occurred to me all the times that people wanted to hire me. And then they would ask me that god awful question, what do you charge? And I would go and really choke up and get all weird and defensive and dance around it. Like there was this giant, smelly, terrifying monster like right behind me. And I decided, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's not loving. So I made an agreement that next time he brought me a gift, which would in those days look like a client, I would say thank you. 
And as luck, luck, air quotes, would have it, four people contacted me within 24 hours. And I booked four new clients that double what I'd ever charged before. And they kept coming and they kept coming and my rates kept going up and up. And I got waiting lists and I started group programs and retreats and wrote a best-selling book. And I've made millions of dollars in the last 20 years. And I'm the person who started at a hundred a month. Oh, that's wild. That's, I got into it. <laughs> that's great. No, I love the timeline. So who's been a hero for you in your life? Hmm. Let's see. This is going to be really polarizing, but it's really who's showing up in my mind right now is uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And I have to say that, you know, when that fateful election happened, you know, at the beginning of the election cycle, I didn't like her. Just vaguely, wasn't sure why, but just sort of had a like negative, you know, Lady Macbeth feeling about her. And then I started finding out things that she did when nobody knew who she was, where she made, literally, she fought to make education accessible to disabled students in America. And she would go like undercover to uh, see whether housing was uh, available to Black people. And she fought for that. So she did all these really meaningful things for a really long time. And she's just, I think right now when we have so many crazy things going on politically and globally, she just seems to, with her background, know more. <laughs> or I just trust her perspective. And I, I know people have very strong feelings about her and I respect that. And I'm just sort of on the side of, wow, this is a woman who has been through hell and back and is really smart and really high achieving and really knows stuff. Yeah, I like her. I voted for her, so I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, you know, of all of the things that you've done in your life, what are you the proudest of? Mm. Surviving. I was hit by a car while I was on a bicycle when I was 16 and I was thrown into a coma for a week oh. and I had a traumatic brain injury. I guess I still have a traumatic brain injury, but at the time it was really debilitating. And I was a straight A student who didn't find it difficult to be a straight A student at that time. And now I couldn't read a page and stay awake or remember what I read. And I couldn't sleep for years and I was suicidal daily. And because I got far behind in school, living at my father's house, I moved to my mother's house, which seemed like a good idea at the time. And actually on a, you know, just the change of school was great for me because it gave me a chance to catch up, but it also sort of activated my mom's insanity. So it became very violent, very dangerous, very abusive. And I ended up homeless and living on people's floors. And when you're going through it, I mean, it was awful. And then you forget how bad it was. And I think with, you know, my mom's passing, it's just sort of, you know, things I hadn't thought about in decades. I'm remembering. And I really can't believe I survived it. 
Yeah. It amazes me. Uh, I think I'm proud and helping other people is an easy default for me because it just makes me happy. But the choice to stay and just the stubbornness, even when you want to die, just the stubbornness to stay alive another day and stick around long enough for it to get better when it looks like it will never get better, it will get better. And now I'm speaking to anyone who might be listening who's in that dark place. Just to stay alive when it looks and feels impossible and you don't want to, I think is a really, really heroic act. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, your readers, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, uh, I think it's taken me a long time to answer this because it's really shifted and I, I have had the fortune of growing up and to feel, you know, starting to feel like in the last few decades, uh, I guess I'm, I'm stepping into, what is my perception of me? I think I'm pretty badass and, uh, I'm really, while I'm really, really gentle and empathic, it's because I have earned the ability to go into place really difficult places safely where somebody else wouldn't be able to and keep somebody safe. So there's uh I'm thinking of the tarot card of the hermit is where I am right now. Uh it's interesting that we started with the pandemic because that has been so isolating. I'm fortunate, I live in Long Beach. I can take yoga outside every day of the week, except yesterday when it rained. But there, you know, there are lots and lots of opportunities for me to socialize safely that I wouldn't have other places. But there has been a reel with the election in 2006, with the different ways people responded to the pandemic, with the different ways people are responding to the war uh, with Israel and Hamas, it feels like there's a winnowing. And all you can really do is hold your own light, like a lighthouse, so that the people who want to be with you and will benefit from you can see you and the people who don't want what you have will just leave you alone. I don't even, I think I've sort of danced around the answer to your question. No, 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 you, you, you nailed it. That that's actually it. And that's a pretty big question. So um, I'm curious if you had the, uh, a time machine at your disposal, you could go back in time and witness one event in human history with your own eyes. Where are you going? What do you want to see? 
the first thing that I thought of was because of my religion major background was, uh, you know, the Buddha under the uh, Bodhi tree. Yeah. And I thought, but he was under that tree for a bunch of days. And it was, and I would, it would just be really boring watching somebody meditate <laughs> under a tree. Yes. <laughs> So maybe like the the teaching right after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I dig it. So if anyone out there wants to get in touch with you, hire you, anything about your world, how do they do that? Where do they go? Go to MorganaRay.com, just spelled like my name and added.com. And my website, you know, I kind of share some political things here, but my business isn't. My business is just to help people, primarily help people who want to do good in the world, yeah. do really well so that you can go off and save the world, whatever that looks like to you. Yeah. But go to MorganaRay.com and it's lots of great resources to get you started at any price point, including free. And just, you know, dabble in my process, which I sort of like whizzed through and didn't even walk you through the steps to make it happen for you. Just if the way I approach money or life appeals to you, there's so much great material there that you can get started and then see if you want to go deeper. And hey, book. International yes. selling book, Financial Alchemy, 12 Months of Magic and Manifestation, available anywhere they sell books. But if you go back to my website and you go to the book page and you enter your name and email address, you will get a free two-hour Q&A call that I did recording that nobody else knows about. Just you because you're cool and you're on this podcast. Right on. Excellent. <laughs> This has been so good. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your inspiration. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.